Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 29. Susan Aller of Fall Creek Vineyards is my distinguished guest today. Susan and her husband, Ed, are often called the first family of Texas wine. You'll hear Susan share the story of how a trip through France in the 1970s laid the groundwork for the Allers going all in on Texas wine. The industry sure would look different if not for the Allers' many contributions. I'm also sharing the latest news about the Texas wine industry. We've got results from the USA Today's 10 Best Reader Poll that a lot of you submitted votes for, and there are several new educational opportunities that will give you a chance to up your Texas wine game. Whether you're a regular listener or joining in for the first time, welcome to This is Texas Wine. And a quick note, I usually release a new podcast episode every two weeks, but I'm going to be taking a break until October. I'll be back in time for Texas Wine Month. The USA Today's 10 Best Voting is complete, and the Texas Hill Country came in third as the favorite American wine region. The region was number five last year. Walla Walla Valley in Washington had the winning spot, and New York's Finger Lakes came in second place. A panel of experts partnered with the 10 best editors to pick the initial nominees, and then the top 10 winners were determined by popular vote. The write-up of the region mentions the commonly shared but incorrect detail that the Texas Hill Country AVA is the second largest in the country. In fact, it's the third largest after the Upper Mississippi River Valley AVA and the Ohio River Valley AVA. January Weesey, Executive Director of the Texas Hill Country Wineries, a nonprofit trade group, says, and I quote, The Hill Country is such a special place to us all, and we are thrilled to share it with the world. Thanks to all the Texas wine lovers who voted for the region this year. The Cabernet Grill in Fredericksburg also placed third in the 10 Best Awards. Their category was Top Wine or Winery Restaurant. And San Antonio-based Cottonwood Wine Tours also made the list. They claimed the 10th place spot for Best Wine Tours. This was based on tours' quality of transportation, guides, and other amenities. Congratulations one and all. Palo Alto College in San Antonio is offering a winemaking and beer making degree program, and now the college has just broken ground on a new vineyard and hops yard. The program started last year with 30 students, and it's focusing on the business side of wine and beer making, along with the scientific processes that go into it. Once the vineyard and hops yard is complete, it will offer a hands-on aspect of the business, too. The college's viticulture and enology program requires 60 credit hours to complete. Speaking of San Antonio, Jessica Dufuy has a new article on Forbes online. It's called Wine and Dine Road Trip to San Antonio. Among other sites, Jessica mentions Rerouted 210. And she says, if you're looking for an excellent introduction to Texas wine, Rerouted 210 is also worth a visit. This urban winery near the historic Hemisphere Park offers a laid-back vibe and expert hospitality from owner Jennifer Beckman. Choose from various house labels available on draft or from a well-appointed menu of other Texas wines. She also suggests stopping by High Street Wine Company for global wines by the glass, bottle, or flight. And if you're looking to up your Texas wine cred, 
consider taking Dr. Russ Kane's course to become a specialist of Texas wine. It's being held live on Zoom starting September 29th on Wednesday evenings, and the certification exam is on Thursday, October 14th. You'll learn the inside stories on Texas wines, their history, and how to pick the best. Russ Kane was a guest on this podcast, and in fact, he wrote a book on Texas wine. The Specialist of Texas Wine Certification is the first-of-its-kind program to offer a comprehensive series of classes featuring the unique wines of Texas and the wine regions of Texas. The cost is $275 plus wine shipping. I've taken this class and give it a strong endorsement. I suggest you go ahead and take this Level 1 class now so that you'll be ready for Level 2 when that becomes available. Hopefully that one will be in person so that we can all raise a glass together. Lake Austin is the place to be on Thursday, September 9th. That's when the four member wineries in Texas Fine Wine, Bending Branch, Dukeman, Pedernales, and Spicewood will be out on the lake for the annual Wine and Dinner Sunset Cruise. You can expect eight wines, a fajita dinner from Maudie's, and an always engaging crew from the wineries. Visit Texas Fine Wine website for more information. I'll link to it in the show notes. Coleman Cellars is the subject of a two-part series about winemaking on Austin's Fox 7 channel. The news reporter starts in the vineyard where she learns more about how to harvest and even demonstrates harvest on the air. Then she moves into the cellar for a chat with winemaker Benedict Rhine. My favorite part of the series is when the news personality bites into a grape in the vineyard and she isn't expecting for there to be seeds. The link to this story and all the news I've mentioned is in the show notes at thisistexaswine.com. And that's the Texas Wine News. There are a couple things that every podcaster wants, and I'm no different. First, subscribers. Please subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Number two, reviews. Thanks to everyone that's recently written a review on Apple Podcast. Stars are great, but your actual comments are even better. Number three is social media engagement. Don't forget to follow my social media channels at Texas Wine Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And number four, feedback. Please send me your comments, questions, or ideas for future episodes. The email is texaswinepod at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 802-585-1286. Maybe I'll share your comment or question on the next show. My guest, Susan Aller, is the co-founder and owner of Fall Creek Vineyards. Fall Creek has two locations in the Texas Hill Country, one at Tau on Lake Buchanan and one in Driftwood. Susan and her husband, Ed, established the vineyard in 1975 and have been working tirelessly to promote the Texas wine industry ever since. The list of their accomplishments is really long. Their award-winning wines have been served for U.S. presidents and world leaders. Their roster of friends reads like a who's who in the wine and culinary world, and their hospitality has been extended to many all in an effort to elevate Texas wine. How many new Texas wine drinkers have been converted because of Susan's persuasive skills? I'm guessing quite a few. That's one of the reasons she was named one of the top 50 wine people in the wine world by Wine and Vines magazine in 1990. Ed and Susan were also recipients of the 1989 Louis F. Qualia Award, founder of Valverde Winery in Del Rio. This award recognizes their pioneering spirit in the Texas wine industry. As you'll hear, Susan is responsible for founding a number of Texas's leading wine events and organizations. They include the Texas Hill Country Wine and Food Festival, the Texas Fall Fest and Wine Auction, and the Wine and Food Foundation of Texas. 
Her energy, grace, and vision is truly a marvel, and I was so glad to record this interview with Susan Aller. I do want to start at the beginning, and when you and Ed visited France, right, and that was in the mid-70s, can you just give me a little synopsis of what you discovered in France? Certainly. It was certainly the last thing I ever thought we'd be doing, getting into the wine business, and that's what this trip was segued us into. Uh, We were both recent grads of UT, uh, married when I graduated. He had a couple more years of law school. And a couple years after law school, his dad turned over Fall Creek Ranch, which has been in our family for, uh, he's the fourth generation. Our sons are now the fifth generation, but uh, to operate and ranching's more a way of life um, and not always a profitable endeavor. So he said, let's go look at some of the French breed of cattle. His dad had crossed Charlotte with our Angus herd. I said, sounds great. Why don't we take time this trip to see the major wine regions? We actually uh, started drinking a little or I did my girlfriends in college. Don't tell anybody. Uh, beer, beer was so caloric. We we kind of opted for wine, and uh, and then when we married, Ed and I started uh, enjoying wines. We had some older friends who were our mentors and uh, wine collectors. Actually, way back then in the seventies, early seventies. So um, they gave us this book called Frederick Wildman's Twenty One Day Driving Tour of France, and we literally did that. We it was all the major regions. Flew into Paris, went south to Nevers, visited the, the, saw the cattle, and then went east to Reims, uh, south to Chablis, Burgundy, Rome, crossed the south of France to, you know, Provence to uh, Bordeaux, up to Loire, and back to Paris. And it was like taking a whole year in the wines and foods and culture of France in three weeks. It was an incredible trip. This book is remarkable. It, it's out of print, but you can sometimes find it. Uh, uh, in old bookstores, et cetera. And it's got the most detailed maps truly of the great vineyards like Chasson Montmarche or the DRC. I mean, they, you know, they never had signage back then. And and it's a little more limited, certainly in Burgundy now, but, um, and Bordeaux has got big grand tasting rooms. But back then, I mean, you had to really hunt and look. There might be a 13th century wall that uh, marked uh, a famous vineyard. So we were just enamored. <laughs> just as you can imagine. So it was a whole a whole new education and we were we jumped right in. Well, I read two different accounts. One said that when you were in in Burgundy that you said this looks like the hill country and the other account said that it was in Bordeaux. So do you remember well, specifically? Well, the truth of the matter we were driving from the from uh, Rhone across the south of France to Bordeaux. So uh, no, it wasn't at Clovougeau, although um Many years later, Ed was inducted in the Confrérie de Chevalier de Taste of Vance. So, you know, Burgundy's a, a passion of ours, but it was in the south of France. And anyone that spent any time there would recognize those craggy red uh, clay hills and uh, looks a lot like the hill country. The hill country, of course, uh, was broken off from the, the plains and uh, and then uh, the Lano uplift uh, pushed up and those uh, hills eroded over years with all the rivers that cross uh, Texas. Uh, there are a dozen or more, and that's created the hills and the valleys. And complex soils, microclimates, just fertile ground for uh, wine growing. Well, it didn't take you long after that trip to come home and plant a test vineyard and then really to go all in because I understand Ed left his law practice. He did. He did. Our friends told us we were crazy. They said, what? 
you know, back in the seventies growing, you're going to quit practicing law to grow grapes. And, uh, in 1975, we put a test plot in and then, uh, on the uh, on a portion of our ranch, which is on the west side of Lake McCannon, because we, of course, knew that most of the great regions of the world are located in close proximity to water, which for good reason, it gives you, uh, has a mitigating effect in the summertime, uh, can, can, the breezes can cool, and in the wintertime, it can warm. And uh, so we planted that, uh, we had just a little bit of valley land, and we put a test plot in there. But then we began in the early 80s buying up more of that valley land and um, bought 400 acres, which would become the the home to Fall Creek Vineyards, and and then commenced building the winery in 1982. So we just, you know, we never never looked at each other and, and thought, "Are we crazy?" We just looked at each other and said, "This is great. <laughs> this is fun. How, you know, how are we going to do this? How who are we going to get to help us?" And Ed uh, began going out. He he uh, worked with some of the uh, professors at uh, Texas Tech and. Uh, University of Texas. In fact, we made the first experimental wines. We and Yano Estacado did from the University of Te- West Texas experimental test plot back in the early 80s. So we've been making Chenin Blanc and Sauvignon Blanc from that same vineyard. And that's the advantage we have is that they planted a lot of different grapes. But, you know, you, it takes you a while to figure out which grape likes which site. It's sure. all very site specific incredibly site-specific. So we've had four and a half decades to match the right grape with the right site. I think it's sometimes hard to remember what the American wine industry was like in the early 80s, because even California wines were not thought to be worth a whole lot at that point. That's a great, that, yes, that's a great point. <clears throat> it was a great, a, a fabulous time for us to be coming into the wine world. The wine world was so small that we knew those people in California. We knew Robert Mondavi very well. We we knew, you know, the the Camus family, and you know, the, um, I mean, Camus and and uh, Chuck Wagner, the Wagner family, and uh, the Cake Breads. They were our mentors, and um, it uh, Julia Childs on the food scene, and and uh, simultaneously in the seventies, um, I guess the late seventies, the Southwest food movement was uh, getting attention nationwide. You're probably too young to to know a whole lot about that, but those chefs uh, with their Southwest cuisine uh, garnered a lot of uh, national attention and even international attention. And so we were developing our wines at the same time. And they said, hey, would we, they would go out to LA to do a wine and food pairing or tasting a charitable event with Wolfgang Puck. They said, we can't take our Texas food, not take uh, Texas wine, come join, join us. So you know, we literally were just thrown in with all those people. And then the next year we'd go to New York and we'd meet a whole different group. That's so great. So the California folks were as much, they were trailblazing in California, just as you were being trailblazers in Texas. Absolutely. Truly. Um, they got, a, you know, a bit of an early, earlier start, but um, it takes a while. And, uh, you know, now four and a half decades later, I think we're beginning to make an imprint. Sure. Well, I, I might have missed the beginning of the movement in Southwest food uh-huh. and uh, chefs, but I live in Dallas. So I oh, definitely, you know, Stephen uh, Miles and Dean Fearing. Yes. And I understand you're good friends with Paula Lambert of the oh, Mozzarella Company. Yes, um, indeed. These are names that are so important in the culinary world for Texas and beyond. 
And I wonder, I know that uh, you started really working in food and trying to get a festival going in the Hill Country, and in fact, did that in a, in a big way with the Texas Hill Country Wine and Food Festival. But did the, did the seed for that start in France? Have you always been interested in culinary endeavors? Well, I, I, ha- I had a motive. <laughs> I usually do have a motive for everything I do. And Paula and I are dear friends. And so, uh, and Stephen Piles was the one that introduced us and said, we, I, I think you two are going to be fast friends and we have for all these decades. And, and then we would travel not only to LA and New York and these places, but sometimes to Europe together too. So my motive was, um, as as we traveled in France, it became apparent from the very beginning in nineteen that nineteen seventy three trip that um, you know regionality was very important. There was a, a good reason why the Bordeaux varieties, Cabernet Merlot, Petit Verdot Malbec, Cabernet Franc, primarily those five grapes are grown. Uh, for red wines in Bordeaux and why Burgundy is Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. You know, it's it's site specific. And I said to Ed, I said, we, we will never get to that plane where we're recognized as a region until we establish the Texas Hill Country as a region. And so as our chef friends were inviting us to go to L.A. and New York and, all, and Philadelphia and elsewhere to do wine and food shows, uh, I after a few years turned to them and I said, all right, let's turn the spotlights on Texas. I want to ha- create a festival here. And so I, my, my um, learning, my um, learning laboratory was those, were those trips that we made going to other festivals around the country. And I said, we're going to call it the Texas Hill Country Wine and Food Festival because Ed had started investigating what the BATF required as far as becoming an ABA and um, an Appalachian or a region uh, American viticultural region, and um, he could—he was a, actually a private, a pilot. I mean, just flew uh, privately for us, and so he understood winds, he understood weather, he he understood uh, altitudes, you know, climates, um, geography, uh, and so he could draw the the region because you have to prove that the the region, the Texas Hill Country region, is distinctly different from the surrounding area. And of course, if you look at a map, you can see the Texas Hill Country pop up because of the hills. Uh, so he could draw he could draw that. But the catcher was it had to be a known viticultural region. And I assure you, in the you know the mid '80s, the Texas Hill Country was not a known viticultural region. Uh, there there might have been more people in California when we, that knew about it than people in Texas, honestly. Uh, but um, so I titled it the Texas Hill Country Wine and Food Festival. And after the first two or three years, I had, and we, of course, invited the press. Back then when you had food sections and on the front pages of the food, food sections would be Texas Hill Country Wine and Food Festival. And it'd have uh, a, a full page write-up about all the chefs and the, and the wines, et cetera. And so those became Ed's attachments to his application to uh, to the BATF that we were a known viticultural region. Do you have any thoughts about the kind of current efforts to possibly divide out some sub AVAs within the Hill Country Appalachian? I think that's I think that's very important. What we use what we are using right now is is vineyard designations. So in a sense, that's some that's a little more restrictive than even a sub Appalachian. But I think it's very important, incredibly important. Uh, we have Certainberg Vineyard, which is Alphonse Dotson, uh, 
And uh, and then, of course, Salt Lake Vineyards is our mainstay, which is right across the road from our second location at Driftwood, Fall Creek at Driftwood. And we have another um, young man that's uh, we're we're encouraging him to get his uh, to get his uh, vineyard registered. So so we like um, we think the vineyard designation is very important and sub appellations are very important, too. It's about the site. (laughs) Sure. Things really took off for you, from my understanding, in 2013 when you brought Sergio Quadra from Chile. And can you tell me a little bit about how you decided that you needed a a winemaker and how you connected with Sergio? What were you looking for? Yes, we um, from the very beginning, we were fortunate in the 80s to a wine writer tasted our first Cabernet, um, a third leaf. (laughs) Can you imagine Cabernet, which is very young? Certainly you, you wouldn't think about putting that on the market, but he was impressed with it. And he said, I think Andre Shelichev should taste this. And Ed said, you're kidding. Uh, he was the winemaker's winemaker in California, the Russian actually, actually immigrant that had been uh, in California and, and trained there and uh, just a phenomenal man. And But Ed and this wine writer flew out to California because uh, he knew Andre and Andre t- tasted it. And he was a little short man, but a very, just a bellowing voice. And he, he looked, he t- swirled and tasted and he looked up and he uh, said, plant more, <laughs> plant more. And, uh, and then he, he said, uh, and he encouraged us to plant the all it, that at that time, I think we just had Cabernet and Merlot. And he said, I would plant the other three Bordeaux red varieties. And then the, the, the best thing of all is he said, and I'd be happy to consult with you. So we had Andre from the mid eighties on who was guiding us. And, uh, and then we had a, a, a young man that we hired right out of um, uh, graduate school to be our winemaker. And we sent him out to California to work with people like Dick Arrowwood and some of our California friends. And he was with us for gosh, um, you know, 25 years, probably I'm thinking. Uh, And so it was when when he retired, we needed a, a winemaker and, we had put ads and I had hundreds of literally uh, probably a hundred resumes, but I was looking for someone really incredibly uh, fine as a winemaker, but brilliant as far as a viticulturalist and, and could meet the, the public and press well. A press friend of ours said, have you thought about uh, asking Paul Hobbs? And I, Paul's um, a personal friend of ours. And I, in fact, I had had him come to the Hill Country to do a seminar for some of the the wineries. I, for three years, I brought winemakers in from around the world, literally, to have small sessions with 15 or 20 winemakers. There were so few back then. Always trying to raise the bar because, you know, if, if, if we were up here and everybody else was maybe hadn't reached that spot yet, it didn't, you know, it wasn't helpful for anyone. So uh, I called Paul and uh, or emailed him actually and gave him this long criteria about Mr. Mr. or Miss. Superman or woman I was looking for. And uh, he got right back to me. He said, I've got a couple of people in mind. And he said, what about a Chilean? And I said, as long as he's got your seal of approval, because I feel like every young winemaker in the world would like to be working for you. Just find me one great one. (laughs) So he put us in touch with Sergio in Chile. And and, uh, Sergio had done his research. He knew more about Fall Creek and the Hill Country and the Texas wine industry than probably 
very, you know, many other people. And um, so we, after we Skyped with him for a couple of months, we sent him a plane ticket and he came on August 3rd and um, the day before we started harvesting and it was like 103 degrees <laughs> when he opened the door to the Austin airport, it just almost took him off his feet because, you know, a heat wave over there would be 90 <laughs> if it ever gets to 90. <laughs> uh, I mean, down there, he, he was interested in uh, getting in on the ground floor of a new wine industry. He, he saw a lot of mistakes that were made in Chile. And he had had the advantage to work with a lot of uh, several of the French families that had planted there after the war. And he was the winemaker for Conciotoro and which is huge. So making anywhere from, you know, $15 bottles of wine to hundred dollar bottles of wine. And they sent him uh, off uh, traveling around the world too. So he had, he had a great perspective and, uh, and a very talented winemaker. I remember we were standing in uh, certain bird vineyards, Alphonse Dotson's, and uh, his Chardonnay had taken a, a big hit that year, as it has this year, unfortunately. And Ed said, well, there's so little here. I guess, uh, you know, we won't be harvesting this. And Sergio leaned down and tasted one of the grapes, and he said, I'll make this in a bucket or whatever I have to. He said, this is worth making. And, you know, our... Our Chardonnay is, I, I love it when I hear the comment that Chardonnay can't, doesn't grow well in Texas or can't be made in Texas. And the problem is they don't know where to grow it and they don't know how to grow it or they don't know how to make it right. But uh, we, I mean, we had our, back in the, uh, I guess, I, I forget which vintage it was, late 80s probably, um, one of the A&M professors took a few of the Texas wines or it was I think it was the late 80s and uh, took our a Chardonnay over and ours was a statistical tie with a Chasson Montrachet in a blind oh. tasting in France. So and we so we've kind of hung our hat on Chardonnay. Unfortunately, we don't have uh, very much of it. But what we have is very we do an old world style and then we do a, a stainless steel. No, no oak from, from the same vineyard. Yeah. Same vineyard, which is interesting cool. to compare the two. Yeah. So unfortunately, we're doing this online, so we don't get to be there in person. But I want to I want you to imagine for a moment that we were in person and that you could pour for me any wine, past or present. And let's assume that all the past wines are in pristine condition. What would you want me to taste that Fall Creek has made all these years? What are some kind of wines in history or present that you think represent Fall Creek vineyards well? Well, can I say two? One on the white Absolutely. side. All right. It would probably it would probably be Chardonnay, and it would probably be the the 2019 Chardonnay, which has taken an awful lot of accolades. Unfortunately, we only have had 57 cases, and unfortunately, when nature cuts you back, um, you know that's the sad part. But but the, the usually the the silver lining is that it's stellar nectar. Sure. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, I I guess because those were the first grapes that or first wines that we fell in love with way back in the early 70s. Um, and I, I always loved those white burgundies. And to think that we can, you know, at least be on this, the same stage uh, occasionally with uh, those great burgundies. And a much more affordable price. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like about one tenth. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I don't collect too many burgundies anymore. Uh, but we actually made our first uh, Pinot Noir last year. And while I'm not going to say that it's on par with any of the uh, French burgundies, but I, I, we were so pleasantly surprised. So give us a few years. Interesting. Where was that vineyard? Uh, that it is in at the headwaters of the Colorado River, and this is the one that we're trying to get him to um, get made, get get his um, vineyard designation. But uh, on the red side, uh, in 2016, the the uh, vin- vintage was so incredible that uh, Sergio came to us and said, "This is the best." vintage so far and um and from and he had tasted some of our library wines he said we we really need to put this in a category all of its own and so we literally created a new brand which is called x terra the hardest part of making wine is coming up with a name a name that you can trademark that hasn't been used somewhere in the world (laughs) and i was i was shocked that uh i was playing around with because the the thing about this, all these grapes come from Salt Lake vineyards because, and from not just the vineyard, but from certain rows. And we've been dealing with their vineyard from the very beginning and uh, which is about 13 or 14 years. Um, and so um, we, we wanted to pay tribute to Salt Lake vineyards and the, the site, the soil. And so ex terra meaning out of the land. And by putting X and Terra, I mean, you, you see Terra on lots of wine labels, but nobody had put X Terra. And well, I said, get that trademarked immediately. Yes. You're thinking. <laughs> so um, that the, we do a Tempranillo and a Mouved and, and a, uh, that are just outstanding. So maybe I need to try each one of those on my flight as well. Yes, as yes, yes. And then I'd, lo- I'd love to hear your thoughts. And uh and then as an adjunct, you'll have to come visit us at either Driftwood, Fall Creek at Driftwood or Fall Creek at Tau. Absolutely. Well, I have had the Xterra a couple of times because once I ordered it at Cabernet Grill. the, the oh, yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. They sell, they, they, of course, we can't give it to too many restaurant accounts because it's very limited production, but they sell more than any restaurant in the state of Texas. They're amazing. They've been supportive of Texas wines, of course. I think more than any other restaurant that I know. And I think that I've also tasted it at Texom during the session yes. a few years ago that Jessica Dufuy led about Tempranillo around the world. And Good. and your wine was featured there. I think it was the 2016. All right. That's probably true. And in a in a crowd full of sommeliers and, you know, wine industry folks, it was it was wonderful to see the Texas wine on the panel do so well. I think there were two Texas wines, actually, not if I recall correctly. Um, that that wine, I do remember a little discussion after about the price point. So yes, can you talk yes. about how you came about deciding a price on that wine? I think it's one hundred dollars a bottle. It is. It is one hundred dollars. We wanted to set it apart, and because we, I mean, you know, we'll make seventy cases, or I mean, it's always going to be a very very limited production. And um, gosh, this year, uh, we're, we're going to really be, uh, well, it remains to be seen. It, there are some years that we may not be able to make it because if the quality is not there, it won't be made. It's like your reserve. Yes. And actually the 2017 that followed it um, has already been re- received a, point, a 93 point uh, scoring from James Suckling. We're hoping that we can get the attention of Jancis Robinson, James Suckling, Robert Parker, those top reviewers, because uh, 
that's what really will elevate Texas wines. And James Suckling did come three years ago and he tasted a number of Texas wines and we sent five, five wines. We got five reviews, uh, I mean, great reviews, 90 for our GSM and 91s for the Tempranillo, the uh, Chardonnay, the, the Moved. He came the following year and we only had three wines to send, but we got a, a 91 for the uh, barrel fermented Chenin Blanc. We did uh, kind of an unusual wine Sergio did, which was delicious. And the regular Tempranillo got 91s. And then the 2017 Xterra Tempranillo got a um, 93. So That's great. We're thrilled and we're hoping that other reviewers will follow suit and take a look, but they haven't been interested in Texas wines. So we're trying to get the word out. I feel like when we can stand on the stage with those other great wines, that's going to make a big difference. Well, when you released your first vintage, I read that it was only about 250 cases. Was that in 79 or 80, something like that? Uh, That's exactly right. Uh, 79 was the vintage and we probably released it in uh, uh, 1980 and it may have been even fewer than that because we sold it to to three retailers in the state and out of the trunk of Ed's car. (laughs) Uh, I read that. I mean, one of them was Marty's in Dallas, which is where I first learned about wine. That's right. So I'm not, I'm not as young as you think. (laughs) I mean, I grew up in Dallas too. So, so uh, we're kindred sisters. Um, But that, that was such a great store and uh, what a fertile learning ground. For you and um, and then uh, Richards in Houston was the wine store, and then there was Dan's uh, on South Congress, which is no longer here, but it was uh, an incredible wine store that that it seemingly only wine collectors knew about. And back then, in the uh, set late seventies and eighties, uh, you know there weren't a whole lot of those, but I, we were just amazed the first time we went in there and saw what a uh, collection of wines he had and, and rarities. Uh, Chateau Grier is the smallest appellation in the world and in France. And um, we were in there one night in the late 70s. And I said, Ed, I, I can't believe my eyes. He's got some Chateau Grier. But that was Dan. I don't know how he secured these wines wow. that he did because I didn't think anything ever left the country and of uh, France. Cool. So. Anyway, those early years, there were some interesting characters. Um, and as I said, it was a very small, tight community and a uh, wonderful time for us to get to know and learn from all these people. I'm sure that you converted a lot of wine drinkers to be Texas wine drinkers. And I read an article recently about the Texas wine industry. And the first sentence of the article was, over the last 40 years, Texas wine has gone from novelty to worldwide contender. And I think that says it all, novelty to worldwide contender. Yes, that's that's exactly right. There, there's a lot of curiosity in the beginning. And then um, we were fortunate to have Andre steering us. So I felt like we were on solid ground, but uh, there weren't very many of us. I mean, there we were the second one in the state and then there were just a handful and, uh, so it's and then it started taking off in the 90s and has the growth surprised you? Uh, you know, I never I, I, I never kind of occurred to me um, to, to think of it in numbers, but uh, I, I think it has. 
I think it has surprised me that it grew so fast. So that's good because the, the more that, that we have out there to spread the word, uh, the better it is for everyone. But, you know, as Sergio said, when, uh, when we got him, uh, it, because Ed said to him, why, why would you want to come to Texas? And he, he said, um, well, I'd like to educate my children quite honestly in the United States. And, uh, and I'd like to be on the ground floor of a new industry. I think I can affect very positive change. And he certainly has. We've, have to attribute a lot uh, to Sergio and Andre Chelchev, who've been our guiding lights. But he, the other thing he said was, he said, now I didn't come here to make great Texas wine. He said, I came here to make great wine that just happens to grow in Texas. And there is a difference. <laughs> you know, if you, if you match the right grape to the right site, I mean, wherever you are, it doesn't matter. But that, that's the, that's the magic. That's, that's the connection the grape needs the right connection the grape and the soil needs to make it a, a winning bottle of wine, uh, a delicious bottle of wine. Well, I don't know if the grape industry has been any more forgiving than the cattle industry was <laughs> in the 70s, but um, I know there have been some rough years. There have been freezes. Yes, there have been. There have been, you know, challenges with diseases. I don't know. Maybe all the reviews might not have gone the way that the the recent James Suckling scores yeah. did. Did you ever just look at, at Ed and say, I don't know that this was the right choice? Never, never. I have to say, not ever. We just always had some other surprise or another door opening or um, some just truly an unbelievable blessing that we just, I mean, we were surprised all the time, whether it be someone that would step in to make a suggestion or um, grape that really did well. And, and we did send, um, our, it was really the Texas A&M and, and uh, some of their professors that took some of those grapes uh, around the world and wines around the world. And, and Fall Creek did, uh, hold its own and, and come out on top in some instances. So th those were the things that uh, I remember our Chenin Blanc, we uh, put in a competition in California back then. Uh, it was like in the uh, vintage, one of the eighties, mid eighties. And it came out as the top Chenin Blanc in uh, this, you know, international competition <laughs> housed in California. And we were shocked and they were shocked <laughs> in the eighties. That's incredible. So we we just always had an, enough. I can't remember really ever getting down, but I'm I'm a, the glass is always half full and not half empty to me. Um, and plus, you know, it's a very labor intensive endeavor <laughs> and I've been too busy to ever worry about something uh, not being right. If there's something that was off base a bit, we just fixed it and went on. <laughs> I can see why they call you the ambassador of Texas wine. No. I'm, I'm guessing that <laughs> if, if you ever ran into any challenges um, being a woman in this industry, that that you found a way to to make it work. It's, that's a sense I'm getting. Absolutely, but I had I had good role models. I mean, Dolores Cakebread and Zelma Long. I mean, Zelma was recognized as the top one, you know, one of the very top winemakers uh, in California, and then she went on. You know, when Chandon bought. See me, um, you know, she was uh, way up there uh, in the international world, and we've kept up that friendship. We 
Uh, in fact, she set us up when we wanted to go down to South America to Mendoza and see what was going on with some of the uh, Malbec in particular. Many years ago, she set us up a wonderful tour. And then we we visited uh, her husband, Phil Freeze. Zelma happened to be out of town, but when we were in South Africa, because we were in Stellenbosch, seeing the regions there. So we've, the and that's been the, the wonderful side uh, line to this. You know, you've got to visit the regions of the world and everybody does things a little bit differently, but everybody's door is open. I mean, that's what's remarkable because we're basically all farmers, which is very humbling, <laughs> but everybody's door has always been open. They've always been very helpful. They've been excited to hear that wines were growing in Texas. Um, I don't know how anybody could get down. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> when you look at what's going on in the Texas wine industry now, what are you excited about that you see from your peers across the state? They're experimenting with a lot of different varieties. We are too. And um, we have a lot of close friends. I think that's that's the best. And uh, Everybody seems pretty bullish and enthusiastic, and it takes it takes a lot to uh, to get the word out. So it's it's all very positive. We've talked a little bit about scores and that that you want Texas wines to be rated and reviewed more often and by more prestigious uh, wine critics. I did see that in in 1997 that the Fall Creek Sauvignon Blanc was the first Texas wine to be named a Best Buy by the wine spectator. Yes. So it's always nice to be recognized for, for value. Uh, and also this is much less significant, but in a recent podcast that I did, it was called 12 bottles that moved the needle on Texas wine. And I, I included that on the list because um, what's nice is that you have the $100 Xterra that appeals to a certain market but your wines are approachable and affordable for, and they're, they're also distributed. So I'm not sure what your case count is these days. I know it varies uh, year to year, but it's actually um, possible to find Fall Creek in, in many stores and restaurants. Yes. And we push the on-premise uh, particularly. I've always, we learned about wine and food, how you, you really can't have one without the other. <laughs> and uh, so I've always wanted our wines to be on the stage with food. I think it's the healthful way to enjoy wine in moderation always. Uh, retail, of course, is important too. We, we, um, we've got these two tasting rooms and of course the Driftwood one is, um, is very active as far as visitors. We're open seven days a week. So uh, we're selling a lot of our wine through that and we still uh, have more demand than supply every year. We're, uh, and of course we're, dependent upon what the crop yields. Uh, we're not going to just uh, go out and buy grapes if they're not the, the quality or someone that we have been working with. Uh, so we're, we're, we've been pretty static. We, we were selling more cases uh, in, oh, say 10 years, 10 or 15 years ago, but we decided to pare back and to really tighten up. And that was part of Sergio's coming. And, but we do, we have um, $14 bottles of wine and $100 bottle of wine. And so there's, we feel like we've got a, a wine in the price point and, and in, hopefully in the taste profile for, for most everyone. But, you know, we, I'm really proud of our teams at both locations and uh, Driftwood uh, does such a great job with the numbers that they handle because there are a lot of people coming through there every day, especially on Saturday, but every day is busy. And I said, you know, it's got to be, good wine and hospitality and education. 
and I we do table side tastings. We always have. It's not you don't stand at a bar. Don't don't plan to come in and stand at the bar and get out real quick. Although we can do that <laughs> if that's what you want, we can sell you a bottle. But but we're going to want you to sit down and spend a little time with us, and that's what people seem to enjoy. And I'm I think it's such a fascinating subject that I've I, I want to share our experiences and the things I've learned and and then hear from other people what they've learned. What do you think is your favorite part of the wine business? Well, I, I think interacting with people. And so it's whether it's um, tasting you or a press person or a group of friends or, or just wandering through the tasting hall and uh, visiting with people. I feel like ma- uh, wine's a magnet that draws good people together for good times and good camaraderie. So that, that's, that's pretty hard to beat, although... You know, every harvest is pretty exciting. Uh, we're, our Moved's coming in uh, tonight, and uh, so we're anxiously awaiting that. That's exciting. There's uh, there's something all year round to keep you yeah your your interest perked. That's for sure. I read that back in 1985. So put yourself back in, in what was going on in the Texas wine industry in 1985. That Fall Creek wines were served at uh, President Ronald Reagan's inauguration. And yes. Texas wasn't even really on the on the national scene at that point. How did that come about? Well, that's an that's an interesting story. Uh, there's there's a story with with all of these uh, these happenings. But um, when Ronald Reagan was elected president, uh, there was not an American wine in the White House wine cellar. They were all primarily French and European wines. Well, you can imagine the California wine lobby, what they thought of that, <laughs> not much. And so um, the president decided to have wine across America. And they uh, got Robert Lawrence Balzer, who wrote for the L.A. Times and and was also, if you remember, I don't think it's still around the mobile. Was it the mobile diamond award or something for restaurants? So he invited uh, it was up to him to. Uh, and to select 50 wineries and 50 restaurants across America. And of course, the the restaurants were probably a little, there were probably a few more out of of California restaurants than there were wineries. There were only two wineries invited outside of California. So I guess we were the token. Uh, He he chose us and, and Tadeshi Winery in Hawaii. And so here we we went to D.C. in this big hall. I can't remember uh, what the building was. And uh, and that's when we met the cake breads. Our table was next to the cake breads. And so we we became fast friends. It was for three days and it was open to the public and free. You could come in and graze, you know, enjoy foods and the, the wines and uh, Jack taught Ed how to pour. I mean, because you can imagine there were literally thousands of people coming through. And Jack would nudge me and say, you're pouring too much, Ed. You're pouring too much. <laughs> <laughs> that was our first big tasting. <laughs> That's so great. Do you remember yeah. what the wines were? Uh, I'm sure it was Chenin Blanc because we've been making that since the 80s and probably a Cabernet. Mm-hmm. Andra, you know, we had planted we we planted French American hybrids because that's what A and M and the the professors here in Texas said to try because they said vanilla won't grow. Well, 
we planted them and uh and Ed and I kept going back to France and there and and then uh, talking to uh, Professor Omo and se- several professors at UC Davis Ed was talking to them and you know the wines we loved were the were the um vinifera uh cabernet chardonnay sauvignon blanc chenin blanc those french varieties and so we just decided to plant them and uh, well and fortunately the uh, experimental test plot had planted chenin blanc and sauvignon blanc and and when we were, we made those and they were um you know they were we, they were so successful in fact sauvignon blanc was kind of our flagship wine for the, in those early years and uh, I hear people say, well, you know, you know, people just didn't know about those early wines because they were so limited. I can't imagine what our, well, our production was, you know, two or 300 cases that first year and probably under a thousand cases for the first five years, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, so you can't get it in too many people's hands. So people didn't know about it and they didn't know the quality and not to say that there weren't some uh, less than, uh, perfect bottles. Um, and I know there were, uh, it was, you know, these are all just, it's like a flood of memories coming back. George HW then in, invited us. And I don't know if there were any other Texas wines. I can't remember, but we went for his two inaugurations and, and George W. Bush did the same thing. What do you see in the future for Fall Creek Vineyards? What are you looking forward to? What are your goals for the next say five, five to 10 years? Well, um, just securing a, a good place in, in the world wine market. Uh, I don't, I don't, we don't have enough production to be, you know, to be able to supply the world, but, but we, we want to be recognized on the world stage as a top quality wine. It's, uh, it's, you might say fulfilling Sergio's mission to where, we're diehard Texans and proud Texans, and he is now too. <laughs> it's it's the wine in the glass, and it's the f- fact that each of these varieties, there's a story behind each wine as to how it connect, how that grape connected with that site and that soil. And uh, we uh, we had an artist, Shani Lott, do a uh, a poster for me years ago, and uh, it was a it was actually ended up being a collage of the vineyard at Tao, but she, the caption she put was, uh, which we've loved and hung on to and reused is where the sky fell in love with the earth and gave birth to wine. Oh, beautiful. That's what it's all about. Absolutely. Well, I, I love learning more about all the different um, stages in the development of Fall Creek Vineyard. And I love the grace with which you uh, conducted yourself and put Texas on the map. So it's a, it's a beautiful story. And I appreciate all that you and Ed have done. Well, we're, we're going to keep plugging away. We've got, we've got more troops to, to help get the word out. And, uh, and we do want uh, Texas and certainly the Hill Country, Texas Hill Country to be a recognized viticultural region with the best of the world. And uh, I think we're getting there. I, I think we will. We just, we need, um, some of these people with tunnel vision, thank you so much for all that you do to get the word out because to have you say something about our wines is exponentially more than any of us individually could, uh, could uh, accomplish on our own. So uh, 
that's what we need is just uh, those people that are knowledgeable and know about wine to to spread the word for us. We're working on it. Well, um, I, I never actually specifically said this, and you didn't either, but Fall Creek has been 100% Texas grapes. Fall Creek is 100% Texas grown grapes. And so that's why there are sometimes we skip a year, like with our Emeritus, which is our Cabernet-based uh, wine that we dedicated to Andre. The first vintage was in 1996. And um, he, as he said, this is going to be your top quality red wine, and it's Bordeaux-based. He said, if a vintage doesn't equate to that quality, we named it Meritus, meaning of merit, then you don't have a bottling that year. Don't make it. Yeah. I was interested to read that. Um, I went back and kind of looked into his life story. When he was consulting with you, he was already extremely well established. He was not, oh, I mean, he was oh, the top no. of the we top were, already. Yeah. And because he got to oh, California yeah. in 1938, I read. So, Isn't that amazing? Yes. I know, but he, but uh, in the, you know, in the 40s and 50s and 60s, he was, you know, he's the one that put those wines on the, the map. And then he, he was still consulting with Jordan, of course, and he was a big proponent of the board, red Bordeaux varieties. But we had him help us the last few years of his life. It's wonderful. It was just a wonderful, wonderful That was before the days that traveling, consulting winemakers were so popular, too. So Exactly. Was- and for him, I mean, we were so humbled by the fact that he said, and I'd be happy to consult with you. And we thought, you know, is he talking to us? <laughs> Sign us up. Yeah. Yes. Thanks, Susan, for everything you do to promote Texas wine. Listeners, you can connect with Fall Creek Vineyards on Facebook at Fall Creek Vineyards and Winery, on Instagram, Fall Creek Vineyards, Twitter, Fall Creek Wines, and their website is fcv.com. And by the way, I've just found a 1972 edition of A Wine Tour of France by Friedrich S. Wildman, Jr., and the book includes a 21-day motor trip itinerary. As Susan mentioned, it starts in Paris and then goes on to Champagne and Alsace. It jags back over to Burgundy and down the Rhone, goes through Provence and then over to Bordeaux and Cognac. Then the tour heads inland to the easternmost part of the Loire, and it follows the Loire west, then returns to Paris. Anyone up for a road trip? Stay tuned for Demerits and Gold Stars. Would you believe that our place in Fredericksburg is still not quite on the market, but it's almost ready for its debut as a short-term rental? It's been a long, expensive, and sometimes frustrating journey, but I can't wait to make it available to renters. It's a two-bedroom, one-bath cottage located less than a mile from Main Street. We're calling it Cork and Cactus. We've decided to work with Heavenly Hosts, a management company that will operate the rental. Heavenly Hosts has some adorable houses and the best service in town. Check out their website, heavenlyhosts.com. Whether you're looking for a romantic getaway on a nearby ranch or a cute cottage in town like mine, just blocks from Main Street in Fredericksburg. That's heavenlyhosts.com. And tell them the Texas Wine Podcast sent you. Now it's time for demerits and gold stars. And here's my gold star. Congratulations to Rania Zayat for being named one of wine enthusiasts 40 under 40. Rania is founder and president of Lift Collective, formerly known as the Wonder Women of Wine, and wine director and managing partner of Buffalina in Austin, Texas. 
At the first Wonder Women of Wine conference in 2019, Rania gave the stage to Ray Wilson and Adrian Ballou to share what it's like to be a female winemaker in Texas. Then, as the endeavor moved on to an online platform and was rebranded as Lift Collective, she put Julie Culkin of Petternalis Cellars and my guest Susan Aller of Fall Creek Vineyards in the spotlight. Through it all, Rania aims to celebrate diversity and bring balance to the wine industry by advocating for the inclusion of marginalized communities. Congratulations, Rania, on your inclusion in 40 Under 40. My demerit goes to writers who start out writing a Texas wine article with a paragraph like this. Personally, I love a good Chardonnay, preferably from the Sonoma Coast region of California, but to each their own. Let's ignore my penchant for a good California grape, though, and talk about our lovely Lone Star State. Does that get you excited about reading about Texas wine? And then said writer goes on to share old and unsubstantiated data. How about a little fact-checking? Now, I don't necessarily blame wineries for promoting themselves when they get this kind of coverage, but I think smart consumers should expect better from editors and publications. When a winery is included in a top wineries list, you would expect that the writer has actually been to the wineries that are mentioned. And we just hope that the facts presented about the winery and the area are, in fact, factual. Like I said at the top of the show, I'm taking a short break from the podcast and will be back in October, but my newsletter recipients will hear from me sooner. I'm planning the next fun giveaway, which is a Texas wine crossword puzzle. Be sure to visit thisistexaswine.com and click the newsletter sign up. That's also where you'll find all the show notes for this episode. If you click the support the podcast tab, you can join about five of your fellow listeners and buying me a glass of Texas wine. Thanks, y'all. Thanks to Matt McGinnis and Big Thirst Marketing for helping secure podcast guests. And thanks to Texas Wine Lover website and Jeff Cope for helping promote the podcast. Visit txwinelover.com to help plan your next winery visit. Thank you for listening to this episode of This is Texas Wine. Cheers, y'all. Cheers.